This is Talking Michigan Transportation. I'm Jeff Cranson. In January 2020, before we were all seized by a pandemic, the Michigan Transportation Commission, at the request of Governor Gretchen Whitmer, authorized the sale of $3.5 billion in bonds to stave off the rapid deterioration of our state's most vital roads and bridges and launch a Rebuilding Michigan plan. Decades of underinvestment has left us with crumbling pavement, bridges held up by temporary supports, and other failing assets. A year and a half after the authorization of those bonds, two people are here to tell us about the progress. First, Patrick McCarthy, director of MDOT's Bureau of Finance, will talk about the coming sale of another $800 million in bonds. Then, Brad Weiferich, director of MDOT's Bureau of Development, will talk about how industry has responded to the governor's plan and what else we can expect. Patrick McCarthy is the director of the Bureau of Finance at MDOT and has been deeply involved in these various bond sales over the years and also in refunding or refinancing these these bonds so that uh, we can save the taxpayers money on interest rates. So Patrick, thanks for taking time to do this. Thanks for having me, Jeff. So first let's talk about uh, the next round of, of bonds in the governor's rebuilding Michigan plan. Um, market had a very good reception to that that first sale. Um, some of that money is still being uh, you know put out there as our projects are spread out over a number of years. what uh, what what are you feeling now about uh, going back to the market a second time? Sure, as we know the um, the governor authorized and the state Transportation Commission authorized us to issue three point five billion dollars of bonds over the next um, four years. In August of 2020, we went to the market with the first round um, or tranche, they call them, of um, bonds for $800 million of principal out of that $3.5 billion. That issuance was well received by the market. It was oversubscribed, which means we had more orders than we had bonds available for people to purchase. That allowed us to begin the projects. We started and completed the first project on I-496 last last year, last fall. And now we are ready um, and planning this August to go to the market for the second tranche of bonds for another $800 million of um, bond proceeds or principal issuance um, to support the, the ongoing list of projects that were originally announced. There were 46 projects um, again, for that $3.5 billion. Um, the so market talk conditions. Talk a little bit about why $800 million. That, that's just um, as, as, we're, as we're delivering these 46 projects, we are keeping an eye on the cash flow needs of the, of the projects, both the ongoing projects that we have and the projects that are being let and awarded this summer. Um, many of these projects are multi-year projects. So even though we're issuing um, or letting projects um, for more than the $800 million, we expect those projects um, to take multiple years to complete. So between the timing of the projects that we let in fiscal year 20 and, and this year in 21, these uh, cash proceeds from the bond issuance um, will be used to to satisfy the payments to the con the contractors and the consultants on those projects. 
to get to 3.5 billion, there's going to have to be some more issuances. Um, do you expect them to be in, in similar amounts, understanding that 800 million doesn't go into 3.5 billion in an even number? Right. It'll be it'll be um, similar amounts, probably. It'll, again, depend on how the cash flow, um, how the projects are progressing and the spending patterns of those projects. Um, you know, most likely it's going to be, uh, I think it's, you know, probably 800, 900 million dollars um, in fiscal year 22. And then the final um, issuance in, in fiscal year 23 will be dependent on how how the project lettings come in, how the schedule of the expenditures uh, is progressing. Um, you know, if if the lettings come in under budget, then we won't need to issue the entire $3.5 billion that we've been authorized. We're only going to issue enough to cover the expenditures on these projects. Um, and, you know, hopefully these lettings come in uh, in, in a positive um, environment and we're able to deliver these 46 projects for a reduced cost. And so far we've done pretty well in terms of the bids and I'm going to talk later to Brad about that. But um, when you talked about being oversubscribed, so basically uh, an 800 million sale, you know, getting us more than a billion, um, how, how does that work exactly? Sure. So, so our eight hundred million dollars of principal that we issued brought in a little under one point one billion dollars, and the difference there is the premium that was recognized on the bonds. Uh, the the bonds to the investor are attractive at the interest rates that we're offering them, so that um, they are willing to pay a premium, an an additional amount of money on top of the coupon rate of the bonds in order to um, receive that bond and hold that bond for um, you know anywhere from a few years to 25 years depending on which series of of the bonds that they that they bid on that they put in their offer for um, so it's it's the attractiveness um, which results from mdot's stability as as an investment um, as well as our ongoing management of our existing debt service we're a we're a low risk for them and they're willing to pay that premium to um, to invest in in the bonds that we're offering well so that kind of further solidifies you know the argument on the side of of bonding and I guess the difference between you know good debt and bad debt and I know that you know debt conjures negative, thoughts for most people. Nobody thinks debt is a good thing, but there are times, obviously, that our economy and economies around the world depend on certain levels of debt and debt being managed properly. And that really speaks to the whole decision about this, this plan and, you know, the investment of putting the money up now to keep the system from falling into further disrepair and, and basically disintegrating before our eyes. And what that cost would leave to our children and grandchildren versus the cost of the debt, right? Exactly. We are at um, almost historic lows of interest rates that that the market is paying right now for debt. It was historically low before COVID. COVID bumped it up just a little bit, but it's still at almost historic lows compared to five and ten and twenty years ago. Um, it, it's it's you know the ideal time to be. Um, going to the market as far as the debt service that that the department is going to incur. And then to your point, um, the the savings that we can recognize um, from the fact that we no longer continue to have to put maintenance dollars into these roadways once they've been fully reconstructed, 
um, the the delays for the for the motoring public that they will see during the construction of these 46 projects, but they won't see it every two to three to five years over the next 20 years as we're out there doing patching and repair work on those roadways. So all of those are considerations that we take into account when deciding that issuing debt um, is is an important tool for us to deliver the road program and try to keep the motoring public um, moving along as with as minimal impact as possible and as fiscally responsible as we can. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a this is a good opportunity to remind people that MDOT and I think a lot of DOTs have a, a formula of user delay costs and it isn't just the money that goes into the project and what that costs us as taxpayers, but when the road is, is closed or there's work being done and you're slowed down, that's costing you uh, in terms of your time. And as somebody who's living in a just-in-time delivery world and in commercial markets, it's costing them money too. So everything we can do to speed these things up saves us all. Talk a little bit about uh, the non-rebuilding Michigan bonds that were refunded and uh, you know that, that brought in a pretty hefty savings too. Sure, and um, at the same time that we're going to go to the market in August for the $800 million of rebuilding Michigan bonds, we're also going to refinance the 2011 state trunkline fund bonds, which um, after 10 years of being out in the market are callable. We can, we can ask for them back and replace them with bonds um, that we will issue at a cheaper rate. So we're going to issue a, a reduced number of bonds that would be outstanding. We're going to replace, um, I think it's $68 million of trunkline bonds um, at a lower interest rate and save uh, a, a little under $19.6 million on that debt service on that $60 million of, of debt. So, you know, we're, we're being good stewards and, and managing the outstanding debt that we have and looking for opportunities throughout the life of these bonds that we've issued um, to save money for for the you know the taxpayers and then we can reinvest those dollars into uh, our existing road program so it sounds like you're constantly monitoring these things right and your staff is is paying attention and looking for the right place to pay maybe jump in and do a, a refunding like that Yes, that's something that we continually keep an eye on. Um, when we issue bonds, there's usually restrictions on how frequently or um, how long you need to wait before you could do a refunding. Um, but as everybody probably knows, when you're looking at your savings account, what you're earning on, um, you know, on your savings account over the last five to 10 years continues to decline. Uh, that's bad for your savings account. But it's great if you're in the market to be refunding your um, your existing debt and saving that money when you're paying that interest rate out to somebody else. Yeah, that's a good good analogy. Well, thank you, Patrick, for taking time to explain this again. And uh, you know, good luck with the next round of bond sales. And I'm sure we'll talk about it more. Thanks, Jeff. We're actively working on it, and we can't wait for this August um, deal to to be finalized and priced. Spoken like an accountant. Hi, for the second segment, I'm with Brad Wiefrich, who is the director of the Bureau of Development at MDOT, which is where most of these road projects originate in terms of design and a look at all the things that are going to go into them. Brad, thanks for taking time to be here again. No, appreciate talking with you, Jeff. So talk a little bit about rebuilding Michigan and how things have gone um, now that we're 
you know, I, I guess a year into it, uh, the commission authorized the bonds in January of 2020. We didn't actually sell the, the first tranche of bonds, as Patrick likes to put it, until August of 2020, but some of that money was to backfill work that was already being done on 496 west of Lansing, which was the first project completed under Rebuilding Michigan. But what are you, what are you seeing um, in these projects and how bids are going and how industry is receiving the whole plan? You know, from where I sit, Jeff, things are going very well. I'll be honest, uh, increasing our program to the size that uh, this program did. Um, I think I personally had con some concerns about our resources, our avail availability to deliver, but we've been doing it. And we have about about a billion dollars worth of work the, uh, that includes rebuilding Michigan money in them contracted out right now. So. The overall program is about three and a half billion. We're maybe about a little less than a third, a quarter of the way into it from a dollar perspective. But what we are seeing is that um, <clears throat> both the delivery of these projects and in the bidding that uh, um, the department and industry are responding. Right now, uh, overall, looking at the combined engineers estimates versus the, the low bids that we're seeing, Overall, we're, only, we're about 2% under our engineers' estimates. So things, all in all, are, are going quite well. So that's a good sign. That means that there's competition in the industry for the most part, and they're they're bidding competitively to, to try to get these jobs, and that's why they're coming in where they are, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. I mean, we develop our estimates uh, based on the work in the contract, obviously, how much concrete, how much asphalt, how much earthwork, um, you know, how much bridge work. We have to take all of these things into account. And we we look back at our historical prices on, on what we get for different projects in different regions and locations and try to come up with what we think is a really good estimate for that project. Those estimates help us plan out the dollars, obviously, try to kind of make sure that we're managing that resource appropriately. Um, but at the end of the day, these go out to uh, the private industry for competitive bidding. And it's actually really good to see that our engin engineers estimates are very close in line with those low bids. Um, therefore, it kind of validates, in my opinion, what our engineers are doing on the front end. And at the end of the day, like I said, we're about 2% under where we thought we would be. So pretty good shape. So in your best non-engineer ease, can you talk about that process and what really goes into it from, you know, the conception of a project and until it's bid and how, how the process of estimating and and I guess also the, the, the process of, of design, because I suspect a lot of people here uh, design when you're rebuilding a freeway that already exists in the same footprint in the same corridor and think well how much could there be to design it you know it's a it's a road that already has straight segments and curves and all those things built in so talk about all of that sure and uh with my road design background and when i told people when i used to be an engineer that was really my passion so i could talk for a long time about it but i won't i'll uh <laughs> okay. try to make it as succinct as possible uh, a program like this was interesting, actually, um, because the projects, the concepts were developed a couple different ways. One, we had, uh, for lack of a better term, I'll call it wish lists of work, big projects that we knew we wanted to do. 
but we, we simply didn't have the resources, simply didn't have the funding to do. So that put those on the table. In addition, um, we have our five-year transportation program that includes five years worth of projects that we're planning. We looked through that list as well uh, for projects that we could accelerate. Let's go ahead and move those up and deliver them to the public earlier. And with those jobs specifically, the ones that we moved up, we also looked at the scope of work. What are we really doing? And one of the terms that I've heard in the past is that, you know, with rebuilding Michigan, we're going to build them right. One thing that I, I would like to, to try to clarify is that I don't think that we were building them wrong before. What we were saying by building it right is building it for the long haul, for a long term. The, the projects that we have been putting out for the last several years, we follow an asset management approach, which means we want to do the right fix at the right time to, to really maximize our resources. But with limited resources, you can't do a lot of these long-term fixes that really, really give you a big boost to your overall system condition. So if a project was to be delivered, you know, four years from now, but it was an overlay, an asphalt overlay, just a cap, maybe we want to take that, move it up, but it really needs to be a reconstruct. We need to get this thing into a 20 and 30 year lifetime rather than just something that's five or 10 years to kick it down the road. So once we've kind of settled on this is the, the, the type of work that we want to do, we call it the scope of work. We've settled on our scope. Now we, we have to take a look at the amount of work that this involves. You know, how many tons of asphalt, how many yards of earthwork, how many tons of aggregate, um, <clears throat> how many cubic yards of concrete pavement, uh, how much bridge work is going to be involved, you know, the steel and the concrete and everything that goes along with that. So we come up with our, our schedule of items, our, our, uh, basically the schedule of the materials. We know how much we're going to be putting into the project. We know historically, because we keep track in our databases of our past prices, um, we can take a look at where those trends are heading for different geographic areas of the state, the different materials. But that's really how we end up then with an engineer's estimate. There's a lot of nuances that go into that and, and will affect the overall bids. Um, constructability is one, how efficient is it? Obviously, building a, uh, a roadway, um, very low volume, very rural, is very different from a per mile standpoint than building a very urban, very complex, trying to shift traffic around. So there are many, many factors that go into it, but essentially we start with the materials and quantities based on average prices, and then we have to adjust for these project-specific type issues. And, and like I said before, I'm, I'm very pleased that the estimates that we have come up with, there's been a couple of outliers um, in the list, but overall we're 2% we're under our engineer's estimate. That's a pretty sharp pencil from an estimating standpoint. So that's good. And, and I think you hit on another point, something that Patrick and I have talked about, and that's the good debt that really is bonding and how going into debt in this case by selling these bonds actually saves you money in the long term because um, if you're back out there, you know, every three to five years resurfacing a road, spending money on it, throwing good money after bad, as they say, 
uh, it's going to cost more in the long run to maintain it that way than to finally be able to rebuild it and get that longer life. I, I think maybe it's like the difference between renting your home and buying your home and how far your money goes. So I, I think you made a good case for why we need to do that. And there's also a, a user delay cost factor involved that you know isn't even something that's really measured in terms of you know what the taxpayers put into these projects, but what affects all of us in our in our commutes and our time, you know, getting various places and taking kids to to games and not to mention commercial carriers and just in time delivery and how it affects those schedules. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and like I mentioned before, over the past, I don't know, uh, ten years, we'll say we're 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 doing everything we can to stretch a dollar and to keep the 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 conditions the surface surface conditions safe and passable for the motorists but a program like this does allow us to do those long term fixes and not only address the pavement for a long term but also get to some of the the infrastructure that's underneath the pavement um, typically when we do these short term fixes when i say short term you know 10 12 years type of thing we're we're not looking to go too deep, you know. We're we're trying to get the the uh, the surface in good shape. We're trying to get the the water to drain where it needs to go to. We'll certainly address any safety issues that we can within the scope of work. But that long term fix does allow us to really put that uh, funding out even further into the future when we'll need it. On top of the uh, the impacts to motorists that you mentioned. Beyond that and, and what you're seeing, I think you hit on something else, and that's about fixing them right. Um, Governor Whitmer, when she ran in 2018, she talked about fixing them right the first time. And I think there were people that reacted defensively to that, just as, as, as you mentioned, because it sounded like somebody wasn't fixing them right in the first place. But what that really means is if we have the resources, then we'll rebuild them instead of resurfacing them. And that's what that's what rebuilding Michigan is allowing us to do. It's it's heading off the ultimate deterioration of the overall system. Um, it's it's really just a dent um, in the end. We're still going to need a long-term sustainable funding solution, and we're going to need you know a lot more money than what was put in here. But in terms of shoring up probably our most vital freeways, the most important to commuting into commercial corridors, it's going to make a big difference. And uh, I think it's a good thing that you're seeing good numbers so far. Yeah, you know, it's I when I'm trying to explain some of the things that we do from an asset approach, I think about a roof, you know, the roof on my house. I can, you know, I can put a layer of shingles over the shingles once. <laughs> I can I can tar it uh many times. But if I keep if I keep tarring it and I keep fixing it, that's all I'm going to be doing. I'm going to continue to tar it and patch it and fix it. Um, this is this is allowing us in many cases to get the new roof that's going to provide that longevity that we need. Well, thanks, Brad. I look forward to uh, talking to you again um, over the next several months to see how we do when uh, another $800 million in bonds go out there on the market. And uh, we've still got quite a ways to go with rebuilding Michigan. So thanks for taking time to explain this. Anytime, Jeff. Appreciate it. Thank you again for listening to this week's edition of the Talking Michigan Transportation Podcast. I would like to thank Randy Doubler and Corey Petey for engineering this week's podcast. To subscribe to show notes and more, go to Apple Podcasts and search for Talking Michigan Transportation.